can afford to be uncertain about certain things in life. You can. You can afford to be uncertain. But you can't afford to be unclear about key issues. You can afford to be uncertain about things in your life. But you can't afford to be unclear about key issues. We're talking about fear today. And I want to take you to a place in the Bible where, well, where some people were afraid. And I bet there'll be a lot of us in this room that'll be able to relate to them emotionally. I mean, the details are different. Uh, The timing is different. The geography is different. Uh, But the emotions are very, very familiar. See, what had happened was the disciples had heard rumors that something was going on down at the tomb where they had buried Jesus just a few days earlier. It was Friday when he died. And Holy Day was about to begin, so they weren't able to work. So the women who loved Jesus wanted to give him proper burial. They had to wait until Sunday to do it because they couldn't do it through the holiday, through the Holy Day. And they loved him. They loved him so much. And it really broke their hearts to see him die a criminal's death. He died on a cross. That's the way the ones who are used to being, well, called criminals die. That's the way that you die when you're scorned. And they loved Jesus. They know he didn't earn that. They wanted to give him a proper burial. They wanted to bring respect to him. So they gather their spices and they go down early on the first day of the week and they decide that they're going to anoint his body prepare his body bring dignity to his body and when they get there well it's not quite what they expected they had talked amongst themselves we who's going to roll away the tomb who's going to roll away the stone from the tomb when they get there the stone is already rolled away and then they look in the tomb and the tomb is empty they weren't expecting this And fear grips them. All the other disciples, besides the women, all the strong manly men, well, they're nowhere to be seen. It's the women first on the scene. And the women there are gripped with fear, just like the disciples who wouldn't even have enough gumption to show up are gripped with fear. And then the Bible says in the verses we're going to read, that an angelic messenger, the word angel, by the way, simply means messenger, an angel shows up and says to them, in the version we're going to read, don't be concerned. Don't be alarmed. In the Bible you have, it might say, fear not. Don't be afraid. See, fear is powerful. It's real. And sometimes below the calm, polished exteriors of our lives, we're holding on to anxiety and concern, suffocating from the paralyzing effects of fear. Did you know that the number one selling drugs in America, like if you put them in categories at the top of the list, are mood-altering drugs that help people deal with anxiety and depression. If you add in sleep aids on top of that, at the top of the list, all around you, people are worried. They're thinking about life. They have uncertainty. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen with their jobs. They don't know what's going to happen with their relationships, with their health. They don't know what's going to happen um, in some other circumstance where they can't control all the details, but they're going to go along on a ride. They know they can't control it, and it gets to them. They lay in bed at night counting sheep, trying to do something to go to sleep, and they can't manage it. Well, the thing I'm excited to talk to you about today is stomping out fear and giving you a practical principle that will help you manage the uncertainties of life and the anxiety that can come and the fear that can come because of uncertainty. It's a principle that goes simply like this, that when you have uncertainty... You need clarity. When you have uncertainty about details and circumstance and health and finances and relationships and spiritual conditions and your morality and where you're headed, your future, when you have uncertainty, 
then you need to have a corollary clarity. In fact, if you have clarity about key issues, center issues, you can manage a lot of uncertainty. Everybody in this room can manage a lot of uncertainty in their life if they have clarity about a few key issues. Now, everybody fears. You've you've had fears. I've had fears. I have four kids. They've had fears. One of the number one fears that most people rank at the top of their list is the fear of public speaking. I'm having that right now. (laughs) There's a big crowd out here today. We we had a full crowd first service. I'm going to show you a few pictures here in just a second, and I want to see if some of you have fear reactions. Like, grip, grip the arm of the person next to you if you want, and just see if they tense up when they see some of these pictures. Here's the first one right here. Ready? Yeah, spider. You know, they call this in the field of psychology, if you have a fear of spiders, it's called arachnophobia, right? The, the fear of spiders. Uh, how about this next one? Some of you are going to freak out like right now. Yeah. Yeah. See, when you're at a circus, a clown's fine. You meet one of these fellas in the middle of the night in a dark alley, not so funny anymore, right? There's a fear of clowns. Here it is. Uh, Cholrophobia, right? A fear of clowns. How, how about this one? This one happened to me this week. I walk in, I felt myself getting tensed up. Yeah, the dentist chair, right? Mm, yeah, open up, right? And then they try to talk to you. Oh, yeah, fear of dentists, right? How about this next one? You know, yeah. Now, it's not a fear of comb-overs. It's a fear of baldness that calls people to do all kinds of crazy things. There's actually a, like a psychological fear of baldness, right? Now, look, look at this one. Some people have this fear. It's the fear of the Beatles. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's the fear of walking across the street. There's actually, like, you can go to therapy about this. And one of my favorite funny phobias is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. You know what the technical name for that is? Right here. I can't pronounce it because I went to public school, but there it is. Um, there's a real fear. Uh, that's sad. I know we have a lot of teachers in the room. That's just a joke. I was just, just, just kidding. Now, listen, the proper response to uncertainty, the proper response to uncertainty for those of us that are trying to follow Jesus It's to not cling to uncertainty. In fact, it's not always even to try to bring certainty to our uncertainty. It's to be clear about who's at the center of our life. Look at your Bible, Mark chapter 16. You can get it on your uh, electronic device. You can look at the screen behind me. You can open your Bibles. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 is the last chapter of the book of Mark, and it's going to give for us a story that is told in every other gospel. There's four of these in your Bible. Four different books, four different authors, four different uh, primary points, all telling the same story about Jesus, and all of them wanting to get us to believe that Jesus is who he claimed he was, the Son of God who gave his life and resurrected. So in all of the Gospels, the resurrection receives a lot of attention. Right here at the end of Mark, we get a particular snapshot of the resurrection that isn't fully investigated in the other Gospels. The other Gospels that are written a little bit later, they investigate other key points of the resurrection, but Mark is going to investigate something that I think we'll be able to relate to. Here's what the Bible says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, brought spices so they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away as they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. You could insert fearful. They had uncertainty about what this was. It wasn't what they expected. There was a turn in the road they hadn't anticipated. Verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. Are you looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified? He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. 
but go, tell his disciples and Peter. See, it was the women at the tomb. The disciples and Peter, well, they had all done exactly what Jesus had predicted. Jesus had told them just a few nights earlier as they were having their last meal together that every one of you will get frightened. Every one of you will desert me. Every one of you will go a different way. Oh, you've been tracking with me, but some things are going to change now. The details are going to get a little muddy. We're not going to have the crystal clear path. In fact, I'm not even going to be with you. They begin to question amongst themselves, what's, what's going on? Uncertainty sits in. Anxiety had set in. Fear had set in. Go tell my disciples and Peter. He points out Peter specifically because Peter was the one who said, Jesus, in the middle of all this uncertainty, one thing you can be certain about Jesus is, I'll never desert you. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 it's before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times. Peter says, not me. I'll never do it. I'm, I'm certain about this. Jesus said, no, no, you will. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. In fact, that's exactly what happened. But here at the tomb, when the angel says, fear not, he gives them specific instructions to the women to say, go tell the disciples, all those brave men, all of whom said they wouldn't leave me, go tell them that I'm going ahead and make sure you single out Peter. And there you're going to see me just you're going to see him just as he told you. Now look at verse 8. Here's the one that we're going to focus on. It's the one I bet you can relate to. Even though we weren't there, I bet you've been here. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now listen, let me give you a little context here. These ladies, they weren't any ladies. They had spent three years following Jesus, listening to his teaching, providing meals for him sitting at his feet. They had heard him say in chapter 14 and 15 of Mark, three different specific occasions, Jesus says to all of his followers, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem. There, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to try me and find me guilty. They're going to kill me. But don't be concerned. I'm going to rise from the dead. He said it once. He said it again. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me, but don't be afraid. I'm going to rise again. And he says it a third time with great clarity. I'm going to Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, guess what's going to happen? They're going to arrest me. They're going to try me. I'm going to be convicted. They're going to kill me. I'm going to rise from the dead. They had all the clarity of what Jesus was going to do explained to them. But in times of uncertainty, you know what happens? We lose focus, don't we? This is what happened to the women at the tomb. You've seen this happen. It's what happens to the young married couple when they hit that first insurmountable obstacle in their relationship. Let, let me just ask you a question real quick. Anybody else hear a bell ringing? What is that? Would somebody try to find that for me? It is driving me insane. You know, I know you're not supposed to say that. This is why I don't like to talk in front of people. Bells go off and stuff like that just to, to get your nerves here. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Oh, it's not going to stop, and I'm going to power through this. It's what happens to the young married couple when <laughs> there's a bell ringing behind me on Easter morning. All right. Uh, this is what happens when the young married couple has an insurmountable obstacle. And they have love. They've looked at each other. They stood in front of a crowd. They're best friends and family. And what they've said of each other is, is I will love you for better, for rich. 
for, poor, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health, when bells are ringing and when they're not, I will love you. I will love you. And then they begin to argue. Oh, the argument, the reasons change, don't they? It's money, it's sex, it's the in-laws, it's kids, it's some issue in the job. You didn't put the toilet seat down. The issues change, but uncertainty creeps in. And with the uncertainty comes anxiety and sometimes a gripping fear. See, uncertainty can leave us confused. If you're following God in the room, by the way, if you're trying to follow Jesus, uncertainty can play with even our spiritual fortitude, like our, our sense of where God is in our life. Sometimes uncertainty, when things change, when we lose the job. You know, we can't control the environment. You often can't control what your primary client do, does. Like if you're a salesman in a company where sales is a big, you often can't fully control what's going to happen with that primary client. They may drop you and it may affect, you can't control all that. There's a certain amount of uncertainty. And if you're following Jesus and those things happen, sometimes it will cause you to wonder where God is. Why is he so quiet? You pray and you think, is he listening? Or why is he not active? Why is he so still? Sometimes when I'm praying through uncertainties in life, I want to end my prayers with something like this. All right, now, God, you've heard how I think about it. What, what could you say to me? What, what's your opinion of this? You ask God, for instance, to change the heart of your child. God, I, we feel distant from each other, and I, I'm not certain where our relationship is, and you feel like there's no answer. You ask God for a better situation at work, and it delayed. It doesn't happen right away. Sometimes maybe for a long time. You don't want to spend the rest of your life as a single person. And so you're in this relationship and you think it's going to work. And you think they're the one. And it doesn't pan out. And the Bible, when you read it, sometimes makes the stories look so simple. Makes the people in the Bible so, well, like they're heroes. I mean, they obviously have a faith that is so bigger and better than our faith. So bigger and better than my faith that they just somehow dug down deep and found in the middle of their challenges a faith that is clearly elusive to me. I can't seem to grab it. The truth of the matter is, is when I've been in a situation like that, it's made me wonder if God really cared. Yeah, uncertainty can bring confusion. It can bring anxiety. It can bring fear. But in the middle of uncertainty, you don't have to be unclear about key issues. See, I'm fortunate today because in the middle of my uncertainties of life, I know that there's a God who has with great clarity communicated over and over and over again that he is for me, that he's with me, that I'm never alone. Now, what this means for Ben, I don't know what it means for you, but what it means for me is, is that when the details of my life change, praise God, I just want to do like a big hallelujah right now. Who fixed that? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! It's like Easter all up in here, all over again. Uh, <clears throat> when the uncertainties of my life are kicking in, and when I don't know what to do, God reminds me, gives me clarity. I see him better, and he reminds me that he's for me. He's with me. I'm not alone. It's the kind of thing that, no matter what the uncertainties in my life are doing, no matter how things are spiraling, spinning, beyond my control, it gives me when I'm sensitive, when I see it, it gives me a clarity and a calmness. This is the kind of thing that companies do when they're going through major transitions. Some of you have worked for companies that over the last three to four years have had major changes, like major layoffs, major downsizing, major moves, major transitions, whatever. And when, when that happens, good companies, healthy companies, what they do is they say, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, employees, team members, 
But in the middle of uncertainty, we're going to stick clear and true to our mission. So, if you work for like the Hyatt Company, they are clear about their mission. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And what they say then is it doesn't matter if we're in Jamaica or Chicago or Cincinnati. This is our mission. We may be uncertain about a lot of things, but this is what we do. This is not bad. That's a, biblical, that's a business model, but there's a biblical model. It's the model that you see in every major hero of the faith. Every person we look at and say their faith is superior to ours. Every person we look at in the Bible say, man, I wish I could be like that. Every person of faith you know today alive who's not in the Bible, but they're like around. And you see them surmount what looks like insurmountable odds. The thing that they have in common is not that their faith well is deeper. It's that in the middle of the uncertainties of their life, they have clarity about a few key issues. For people of faith, they have clarity about the fact that God is with them, that they're not alone. They have clarity about the fact that he's a good God. So that even if the circumstances in their life aren't good right now, they believe that because God is with them and he's good, they're going to get out of the thing. Even if they don't get out of the thing, they believe that God's going to use the thing for their good and for their development. And this changes everything for people who get it, who see it with clarity. In the middle of the tomb experience of these women, the challenge was that they had lost sight of Jesus. I mean, now literally they had lost sight of him. They saw him on the cross. He was put down into an empty tomb. They had lost sight of him. And in losing physical sight of him, they had lost, if you'll allow me this, a spiritual sight of him. They had forgotten what he had said with clarity. They had forgotten how he had been with them. They had forgotten his power as he healed people, as he raised the dead. They had forgotten the authority with which he spoke when he taught. They needed to see him again. They needed the clarity of their vision with him to speak louder in their lives than the uncertainty that was buzzing around them. And there are some folks in this room today, and you've got uncertainty. And you are feeling the grip of fear or anxiety or stress or whatever it is you need to call it so you can manage it a little better and it doesn't pile on and what you need today is a clear vision i think of jesus first but maybe some other things too maybe you need to find center again because here's the deal friends uncertainty's coming your way you're either there now or you're going to be things are going to change for you it's just a function of life what do you go to when the uncertainties of life grab hold of you? When the stresses and anxieties and fears, things you cannot control, nip at your heels, where do you run to? Easter reminds us that we have a God that looks us in the eye and says, I know, I understand. I've, I created you. I see inside your head. I know your psyche. I know what you're fear, feeling. And on the very beginning of the movement of God in the world on Easter Sunday, the very first message that he wanted to communicate to everybody who showed up at an empty tomb. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. And we thought it would honor God if we talk about stomping it out around here. And we thought it'd be helpful if we could get a few principles that help us literally just put our foot on the neck of fear and hold it down as opposed to it holding us down. What do you run to in the uncertainties of life? The Bible paints a picture of people, by the way. You may not know this. 
The Bible says we're all idolaters. Oh, I know that's not a word you're supposed to use on Easter when you have a lot of guests in the room. But around here, you get the straight dope, straight from God's word. We preach it, try to make it clear, but we don't ever water it down. Here's what the Bible says about you and me. That we're idolaters. Here's what an idolater does. It puts its trust in things other than God. So some of us in the room, we're idolaters in this way. You have a strong work ethic. I mean, when you face a challenge, you run up to it. You've never known a challenge you weren't afraid to tackle. You have put your faith and your trust in your ability to work harder than the people around you, and that's largely got you through. And your trust, honestly, if we could just be completely honest and pull back the veil, your trust is in yourself, your ability to work hard, man up, cowboy up, do the thing. Some of you in the room, you put your trust, you haven't maybe explored it this way, you haven't said it so directly, but you put your trust in your looks, in your appearance. Let's be clear, I haven't done that. I'm a little smarter than that. I haven't done that one. I got my own, but that's not mine. But some of you, you're, you know, you're, you're so meticulous about the way you look. And it goes beyond just being normally concerned and understanding that people view you. And yet, Now, this is like your thing. Your whole identity is wrapped up in the way you look and the way you dress. For some of us, it's our money. It's our 401k. It's our uh, you know, emergency plan. It's our investments. Let me ask you this. When those things get shaken, when uncertainty comes to those areas where we put our trust, that's when we begin to see what we're really made of. America, in the last four years or so, has had a great opportunity to look and ask themselves, am I given to the idol of money? I mean, is money really where I put my trust? Some of you in this room, you're still there. You know what God does in the middle of these kinds of uncertain times? He comes to us and he says, look, we're going to manage the uncertainties together. I'm going to walk with you. Through them. But, but at the front end, I'd like you to see me. So don't be afraid. I'd like you to see me in the middle of your uncertainty. Some of us that put our trust, we believe that, you know, we've been generally healthy. We're going to be generally healthy. And we put our trust there. And what are you going to do when the body doesn't perform the way it used to? And the disease comes up on you. See, if your trust is in those things, The Bible gives us a clear invitation on Easter Sunday to not put our trust into those kinds of things, but to put our trust in Jesus, to let him be the center post upon which we hitch the rest of our life. So that while we're out here doing our thing, and uncertainty comes, and it always will, there'll be things happen to you you can't control. You'll make choices that will have consequences you didn't anticipate. What are you going to run back to when those happen? Easter is there to remind us to run to Jesus to invite God back into our lives, to examine our ideas about him and see him more clearly. Can he really be trusted? This is what the women were going to learn. Can he really be trusted? Now, the rest of the story is at some point, they pick up and they go, and they go tell the disciples, and they do go tell Peter. But that's not where they began. They begin cowering in fear and silenced by their anxiety. Trembling and bewildered, they say nothing to no one. And they wonder how it's going to work out. Oh, eventually, when you read the other passages in the Bible dealing with the resurrection, in just a few moments, they're literally going to see Jesus himself. And everything is going to be different. When they see him more clearly, everything is going to change. Then they're excited. They run and they tell Peter and the other disciples, he's, he didn't lie. He told the truth. He's alive. We saw him. He still has the, the prints. And the, 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 he really is. And they don't 
believe him because they haven't seen him. They have let their circumstances, they've devoted their lives, and now they're afraid. And he was killed, and we're following him. Maybe we'll be killed. And they've let the fear and the uncertainty of life overshadow the clarity of the image of Jesus they had, overshadow their commitment. Some of you have let the uncertainties of your life overshadow your commitment in your marriage. So let's be honest, man. Some of us in the room, we've let uncertainties economically or just our own internal drive economically overshadow our commitment to be the kind of fathers we're called to be. Some of us in this room have gotten engaged with certain chemical substances. And what started off as fun and felt like enjoyment has now enslaved us. And it has eclipsed the clarity of what we're really supposed to be doing in this world. You don't have to be certain about everything. That is not what this is about today. But you need to be clear about a few things. I know about this as a pastor. I know about it in my own life, walking with Jesus spiritually, but I know about it corporately as well. See, over the last six months and over the next year and a half, as a church, as Four Corners here, we've been uncertain about a lot of things. For instance, we're moving in two weeks. Did you know that? Yeah, we are. It's two weeks, and this is like some of our last celebrations in this room. And we're going to be moving to the Ray Theater. And we have had like five iterations of agreement with them. Now, what's happened fundamentally is, is things have changed. Things beyond our control, things we couldn't speak to. Local management versus corporate management. And things change here and there. And so there's been some uncertainty. You know what uncertainty does in your life? Let me tell you what it does in the life of a pastor. When you've got some 700 people that you know you've got to communicate to and, and not everybody reads the email. Not everybody. And so you tell them it's going to be at this time. And then the management says, oh, by the way, did we say that? Oh, I'm sorry. Now, now we need you out by this time. So you're like, you know, what am I going to do? Nobody's going to show up, you know? And, and, then, and then, like, you have your entire program developed around this space and where the greeters stand and what's going to happen in kids and how we divide things out and how we provide security. And, and then you're going to a new space. You're like, well, I guess we kind of... Listen, you can be uncertain, but here's the thing that's helped us. While we've had to be uncertain and while we've had to hold certain details loosely, and you'll have to do the same thing in your life, there's been a few things for us that have been perfectly clear. See, around here, we preach Jesus. It doesn't matter if it happens here on Westchester Road or over at Union Center in the Rave. Or in a year from now, it doesn't matter if we go up to Tylersville in our new facility where we're going to be at for a long time. We're going to preach Jesus. Around here, we open up God's Word and we let it speak to us authoritatively. We don't water it down. We try to make it understandable. Talk about it in common language, but we're not going to water it down. See, Having clarity about a few key issues, you know what it does? It allows you to manage the uncertainties. You understand that? Having clarity about a few key issues allows you to absorb uncertainty without it shipwrecking your life, without taking you on an emotional roller coaster. When you are confident in your love with your wife, when you have built a life together, and someone gets ill, oh, there's uncertainty. There's room for anxiety and fear. But there's a center post of the life you've built together. When you've invested in your kids and they get past the demon-inspired teenage years. <laughs> and you, they get past that. And you begin to develop an adult relationship. And they have begun to see you now over the course of their life and, and throughout their maturity. And the normal rocks and bruises of life come on them. Oh, there's a, there's a center post that can hold you. And there is a center post of our faith that holds us in the uncertainties of life. Perhaps there's no greater uncertainty than the uncertainty of death. And if Easter is about anything, 
It is this, that in the uncertainty of death, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be concerned, ultimately, about the big issues, like where are you going to spend eternity? God made himself very clear on this issue. This issue. He gave his life on that cross and was resurrected so that we could spend eternity with him. I don't know how I'm going to die. I'd like it to happen after I'm 90. I have an uncle. He's not a follower of Jesus. Here's the way he said he'd like to die. He'd like to be 90 and stabbed to death by the husband of his lover. That's what he said. He would like to have happen to him. I thought that was funny. I know I'm not supposed to laugh. But that's how he's planning on going out. I don't know how you're going to go. I don't know how I'm going to go. And I could, if I was maybe facing some illness, if I were older, if I was, I could let that anxiety grip my heart. God says to us, in the middle of that uncertainty, you can have clarity, though. You can have clarity about where you're going to spend eternity. You can have clarity about who's going to walk with you in this life and by whose life, whose standards you're going to live your life, by whose principles you're going to be animated and breathe and engage, what's going to dictate your values and your morals, what you're going to dream about at night. It can be yourself and your own agenda. You can even like have a step up morally and like make it about other people. Or you can grab hold of God and do it His way. Easter is that invitation where God looks at all of us and says, you may have lost sight of me. You may believe I am gone. You may believe I'm not active in your life. Don't be afraid. Now look at me. Don't be afraid. Now look at me. You don't have to be certain about everything, guys. In fact, you never will. Some of you in this room, you're control freaks. Please don't look around because your spouse doesn't know you believe that about them. All right? You, you know you're sitting next to one. And that creates in you a certain amount of, ah, you got it together. And when it goes well, you feel good. And I'm not talking about having like a low self-esteem and somehow God's honor with that. No, you need to feel good about your work. What I'm talking about though is when you put your faith and trust in that, what are you going to do when it's gone? What what are you going to do when your plan doesn't materialize? What what are you going to do when you've done everything right but they didn't and now it's a mess? Where are you going to run to in those kinds of uncertainties? Easter's an invitation, and I'm giving it with hopefully great clarity today, to run to Jesus, to do your life His way, to do your dying with Him, to do your living with Him, and let Him set the direction. This is what the women who had walked with Him for three years had to rediscover in that moment of great fear. Trembling and bewildered, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What's going on in your life right now that would keep you from seeing Him with clarity? I mean, are you simply running your own way, trusting your own thing? Or has the stuff of life just kind of risen around you like a flood that we've had around here? Has it just kind of creeped up the walls of your life and now all your attention's focused on that thing so that you're not seeing him clearly? You don't have to have certainty about everything. We don't have certainty about everything related to our move. If you're visiting with us today, we're really glad you're here. And let me tell you why it's a good day to be with us. Because you're going to be able to watch this church over the next year and a half and see if we're just a bunch of hypocrites or if we really believe this thing. We have uncertainty. And you're going to be able to discern what's really going on inside of us. And I'm certain some of us, over the course of this time, will lose sight of what's really important. We'll forget it's really all about Jesus. Some of us will. We'll struggle with that because the uncertainties will rise up. Some of us forget that we're here to serve others and not serve ourselves first. We will. Some of us will. 
but you're here on a good Sunday because you'll be able to watch and see if there isn't a core of us that holds to the core of what church is always supposed to have been about. It's about Jesus and proclaiming him with clarity and helping people understand that he loves them, that no matter how far they've gone away, no matter how much they feel like they don't qualify, he looked at them and said, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Start walking to me. Look at me now. Look at me. Don't be afraid. This is why I love Easter. This is why I love our God. This is why for me and for, I, for mine, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we've pitched our tent next to God. Because the uncertainty of our life, the pace of our life is too demanding. And if we simply look at the stuff around us, we get confused. We start bickering. We fight. We forget we love each other. We forget that we're blessed. We forget that God has provided. Because the stuff, the uncertainty, the changes. And regularly, me and our, for me and for my family, we have to turn our eyes back on him and get another clear picture of him. Let me just make this crystal clear to you. If you're here today and you haven't hitched your life to Jesus, you haven't received his invitation to come as you are broken and all, and let him be in your life. Let him lead your life. Let him take your life and mold it and shape it. I want to ask you today to consider doing that. We've, in one sense, designed this entire experience so that we could focus on our great God because church is ultimately about him first. But secondly, we invited you to be here, your, your, your friends, your neighbors, your friends, invited you to be here so you could hear the claims of Jesus with clarity. So that maybe for just a few minutes in this room, the uncertainties of life, the challenges of life could be lowered. The light on them could be reduced. And the light on God calling out to you could be raised. Whether the struggles are coming from outside of yourself or they're sincere and honest questions you have within yourself. You could see Jesus more clearly in that. Because you, you don't have to have certainty about everything in your life. You just have to have clarity about a few key issues. And you need to figure out what those are for you. God says he's one of them. What are you going to do with him? It helps me in my marriage. It helps me in my parenting. It helps me manage my finances, determine how I'm going to live my life, my integrity. It helps me when I think about ultimately what my life is going to have been about and where I'm going to spend eternity. And let me say this if you're following Jesus in the room. You do realize, don't you, that it's in those moments of uncertainty that he does his best work in us. We're most receptive. Our favorite passages in the Bible are all about the times of uncertainty. Psalm 23, read at almost every funeral. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not, what? Fear. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. I won't fear. Why? Because there's nothing to be afraid of? Oh, there's plenty to be afraid of. But I'm not going to fear. Not because I don't have uncertainty, not because everything's good and calm for me, but I'm not going to fear because you're with me. It's that picture of clarity of God in the middle of everything else. We're glad you're here because we think that most of us in the room, those of us that have been following Jesus and those of us that have been running, those of us that aren't, clear, aren't certain about what we're going to do with him yet, we feel like most of us needed an invitation to focus our eyes back on him again. And to see his empty tomb, that he is a promise keeper. And to see him resurrected in power and in might. To know that his glory, his might, his power, his spirit is available to us. 
and to see him looking at us in the eye saying, don't look at life around you only. Don't be afraid. See me. This is what Thomas had to do. You know this, right? Thomas the doubter, I'm not going to believe until I see him. You know what I found? That's true for most of us. The problem is, is once we see him, we tend to forget what he looks like in times of uncertainty. I'm asking you to wash your face today. Open your eyes. Put on your glasses. Whatever it takes to see him. And let that vision of him impact you. Watch our church over the next few months as we deal with uncertainty. And watch us hold as best we know how to the clarity of our mission and our calling. See us make mistakes and run back to the cross. See us maneuver challenges of logistics and money and volunteers and just, you know, where, where are the electrical cords in a theater? Where, where are the sockets on a wall? Turns out there are two. Two for vacuum cleaners. Have you seen our light show? Yeah. Where, where are those things? I mean, just uncertainty, but clarity. Because whether we have lights or not, it's about Jesus. What are you about in the middle of your uncertainty? What are you about? Here's what we do around here. We take next steps together. It's just our way of trying to figure out, God, how are we going to move forward instead of just being changed? And you see people around you grabbing their Connect card. They're normals here. They're regulars. We invite everybody to grab your Connect card right now. Turn it over on the back. And I have four suggestions of steps you can take today to see Jesus more clearly and not let the uncertainty of your life drown him out, blur him out. Here's the first one. I think there are some folks in this room who need to repent of their sins. This is just the Bible language for saying admit you're not perfect. Now listen, friends, if you can't do that, you and I need to have a private chat. If you can't admit you're not perfect. The Bible way of saying that is that you've sinned. You followed your own way. You knew some of God's rules and you didn't do it. And sometimes you discovered later that you didn't follow God's rules and you didn't make it right. All that's just in the category of sin. And the Bible asks us to look at ourselves and turn and go in a different direction. We're going here. The Bible asks us to repent and turn and go towards God. I bet there are some folks in this room today who need to repent of their sins and to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Here's, here's some good words for Lord and Savior. Lord simply means leader of your life. The leader of your life. You could trust in yourself, your ability to work harder, think through it, be smarter, pay your way out of, smile. You trust Jesus as the leader of your life and as your Savior, which is simply your forgiver. He covers your past and gives you a future to live for and to do this for the first time. Hey, listen, if that's you, we'd like you to check the box. I'm going to pray about it in a minute. We're going to sing a few songs together. And at any point, if you feel God drawing you, like that little nudging, that's God. You just check the box in an act of your faith. And I'll lead you in a prayer that kind of like, well, just sums up what we're talking about here in a few moments. Here's the next step B for a lot of us in the room. In, in the first service, by the way, we had plenty of people do both of these steps. Some people really connected here that, you know, I'm following Jesus, Ben. I've seen him, but I need to see him again. And I want to rededicate my life to Jesus and let him lead me this time more than I let him lead before. And I have some uncertainty in my life maybe, but I'm ready to let him lead me in the middle of the uncertainty. Hey, if that's you, check the box. And we'll pray together about that in a second. Here's next step C. Some of you in the room have done this and we're going to be offering baptism next week. So if you've made a public, or if you've made an adult decision of professional faith in Jesus, like you said, I want to follow him, and you haven't yet gone public with that, we're going to give you an invitation. You can check the box. Somebody will contact you this week, answer your questions, um, sign you up if that's what you want to do. They'll be glad to do that. And the next step, D, this is a big one. Um, it's simply saying, I'm going to come to the rave on May 15th. Because here's the deal. If you show up here, 
bring your guitar because you're leading worship for yourself. <laughs> bring your Bible, all right? We're not here, all right? So the reason we're doing this is I'm not just asking you if you're going to come. I'm asking you to check this box to pray for us. We got details to work through. We are stoked and excited. In the middle of all this uncertainty, because we've been clear and God has moved and spoken, even though we don't have it all worked out, we're excited. See, that's what can happen. You can be excited. You can be stoked about life, even in uncertainties, when you have clarity about a few key issues. So if you want to check the box here and pray with this church as we move forward, two more weeks here, and then at the raid, it's going to be an amazing day. Let's pray together right now, and then we're going to sing to our great God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for honestly telling the story of your followers. I mean, I feel like, God, sometimes we get emotionally the sense that the people in the Bible were so perfect, so faith-filled, that they just kind of breezed through these issues. But on the most important story of the Bible, at, at Easter, at the resurrection, you give us a picture of your followers, trembling and bewildered and scared. They were focusing on everything going on around them. They were focused on themselves, God. And you called them to not be afraid, but to look at you. God, today, we want to look at you. God, we have people in this room today who are saying in their hearts to you right now, God, I'm a sinner. I'm going to turn away from myself and turn towards you. Some are going to be turning away from addiction. Some are going to be turning away from relationships that are unhealthy. Some are going to be turning away from patterns of interacting and secret sin. All of us, God, from our own varied places have turned towards you, and some are making that decision to do it now. We're so grateful, God, that the power of the resurrection still speaks 2,000 years later. God, a lot of us in this room, we've known you, but our vision of you has gotten dim. God, shine bright today. Help us to wipe the sleep out of our eyes, put on our spiritual glasses, and to see you with clarity today. God, I pray for those that are going to go public with their faith and baptism. God, I pray that your spirit would cover all things associated with the uncertainty of this church over the next couple of years, 18 months or so, as we move through a temporary place into a permanent place. God, help us never lose sight of you and what you've called us to do, so that whether we do it in a building or we do it in a field, we worship you. We give people a chance to know you. We pray all this in your powerful and holy name, the strong Son of God, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Amen.